uh, I want to ask some of our teenagers over here uh, a question. This is going to be the easiest question I've ever been asked. Do you like it when somebody gives you money? I'm not about to give you any. Um, <laughs> but do you like it when somebody gives you money? Um, of course you like it when somebody gives you money. Sometimes you like it when they say, here's some money for shoes, or here's some money for um, maybe some clothes, or here's some money for gas in the car for those of you who are driving. Uh, here's some money for college. And you're like, ah, you know, that's, that's kind of cool, but I want to spend it now. But, but I'll tell you, it, I remember what it's like to be a teenager. Somebody give you some money. The, the, your favorite thing to hear is, here's you some money. Now do with it whatever you want. That's awesome, man. Here's you some money. Take it. Spend it on yourself. And, and grandparents are really bad about this, Right? You don't have to use it for what your parents want you to get. Use it for whatever you want. You spend it on yourself. Now, that can be a wonderful thing, but it can also be a very dangerous thing because I know some of these teenagers, and they may simply squander it. They may waste it. They may spend it on things that a week from now they have nothing to show for it. Yeah, haven't we all been there? Um, you spend it, you waste it, you have nothing to show for it. The reason I said that this morning by, by way of illustration is sometimes we have received some blessings as a nation. We received the blessings of freedom. We received the blessings of you know, maybe material wealth as a nation. God has been good to us in so many ways, and we can take those blessings, and we can use them to bring glory to Him and do those things which will cause us to be a better nation, or we can take his blessings, we can take things like the Constitution, and we can squander it, and we can have nothing to show for it. What I want to uh, speak on this morning is the freedom to lose our freedom. Do you realize you are free in this nation to choose to lose your freedom? America is the land of the free, and America is more in danger than ever before of forfeiting the freedoms that we have enjoyed for over a couple of centuries. And I want to ask you to look at two verses with me. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, it's right there in your New Testament. It comes right before Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right there in the New Testament. As you find your way there, let's stand and let's read these two verses together. They speak of Christian liberty, but so many of the foundational principles on which this nation were built overflow from spiritual truths. We heard some of that even this morning as the young ladies quoted some of our forefathers. Galatians 5 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And then verse 13 which sort of sandwiches this passage on spiritual freedom. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth that it is spiritually, but also how it should overflow into our families, into our churches, into our governments, in every venue of life. Lord, I pray that we would learn as a church, as the body and the bride of the living Christ, that we'll learn what we can do to begin to call this nation back to the God of this universe 
so that we would not forfeit the freedoms you have blessed us with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I believe that apart from spiritual revival, that America is on a fast track. As a matter of fact, we have already given many of our freedoms away as a nation, and we're on a fast track to choosing to lose the freedoms that we have enjoyed. Now, whether or not we can legislate morality and things like that has become a moot point, because even if we were to conclude today that we can make or pass laws that would glorify God, that would honor God, that would cause us to embrace a national morality that was also a biblical morality, even if we could do that, most Americans have so lost their moral compass, they wouldn't know the difference from right and wrong if we could legislate morality. Abraham Lincoln thought it was desperate times in 1863 when he gave a proclamation for a national fast. And in proclaiming a national fast, wouldn't that be refreshing today to hear the President of the United States declare a national fast and that be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Lincoln said, It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power and to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now let's be honest, it is possible as much as we know about Abraham Lincoln, that he was very sincere in this statement. But it is also possible that he could have been saying that which would have been politically correct at the time. But whether he was trying to be politically correct or whether he was extremely sincere, either way, we have to recognize the fact that there was a time in our national history when that which was politically correct was also biblically correct. That's not the case anymore. As a matter of fact, to be biblically correct, to go with the Scriptures has become politically incorrect in the day in which we live. The irony of a free nation, and by the way, that irony is even seen in the First Amendment. Listen to the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or, and the liberals never like this second part, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. You're asking, where's the irony in this First Amendment? The irony is that it gives us the freedom to choose to do things that will further embrace freedom, Or it also gives us the freedom to choose to forfeit our freedom. As a nation, as citizens of this great country, we have the freedom today to make choices that will ultimately forfeit our freedom. This is a political and a civil parallel to a biblical truth where we just read in Galatians 5.1 where he says, do not be come entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Don't use, spiritually speaking, as Christians growing in grace, don't use the freedom you now have in Christ as a license to get entangled again into bondage. And I believe the Lord God would admonish us as a nation today, don't use the freedoms you've been blessed with, the freedoms you have valued, to make decisions 
that will lead you into bondage as a nation again. When can this happen? How do we choose to lose the freedoms that we have been blessed with? I want to answer that question two or three ways this morning. The first way to answer that question, how do we choose to lose our freedom, is simply this. When we forget the context of our Constitution. When we forget the context of our Constitution. The overwhelming majority of the framers of the Constitution of the United States valued liberty as a gift from God. They valued liberty, but they valued liberty and freedom as a gift from God. Though they were not always right, they recognized that there must be a deity, a God, who is always right. And most of them could quote Psalm thirty-three, twelve: Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. George Washington said, The propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. John Adams says our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. See, that's in the framework of our Constitution. It's important to note that there is no mandate in the Constitution that says you must be born again. Where do we read that statement, you must be born again? We read the statement, you must be born again, in Scripture. In John chapter 3, it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must be born again. If you want to experience the kingdom of God in this life and in eternity, if you want to spend forever with Jesus Christ in heaven, you must be born again. There is nothing in the Constitution that makes it a law for everybody to be born again because the framers of our Constitution understood that even God, the Holy Spirit of God, doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit knocks on our heart's door. The Holy Spirit calls us to Him. But the Holy Spirit of God gives us a choice as to whether or not to receive Jesus Christ as Savior or to reject Him. We have that freedom as a human being, as an individual. And our Constitution nowhere says you must, by law, be a Christian nation. However within what we call the framework of our Constitution, in the foundation, everything that it is built on and everything that holds it together, we have a reminder, this Constitution does not work for an immoral, unchristian people. It just doesn't work that way because too many of the laws, too many of the principles in the Constitution are based on biblical foundations. And so it simply does not work for us to say, hey, we're free as a nation not to be a Christian people. Hey, that's okay. We have that choice. We have that freedom. But the framers would warn us. But apart from that, everything else just kind of falls apart. It's as if some of, some of you are, 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 are great at putting together puzzles. And I don't, I'm not talking about puzzles like I can put together with, you know, 14 or or 16 pieces or something like that. Some of you get these two and 3,000 piece puzzles and you put them together. And I've seen what some of you do, and I know if I ever were to take time to put a puzzle like that, I would do what some of you have done before. You get that thing together, frame it. Put some glass over it, right? 
put it in a nice frame, put it on a nice foundation so it holds together because it would break my heart to know I put that much work into something just to kind of mess it all up again, just to crumble it up and put it back in a box. Those puzzles kind of remind us of our Constitution. We, we put that thing together, and it was put together meticulously, and it, it has been amended at times painstakingly with, with, with blood, sweat, and tears, and prayers, and then we realize that in the framework, not in the Constitution itself, in the framework of the Constitution, we see this works for one nation under God. We see a foundation there. And if I were to take, let's say you had framed a puzzle like that, and you had put the glass, and you had put the the frame around it, and you'd put it on a foundation, and I took a baseball bat, and I say, you know what, I don't have a problem with a puzzle but I don't like the framework, and I take the bat, and I just beat the frame, and I beat the glass, and I beat the foundation. What's going to happen to the puzzle that's going to fall apart? That's what happens to the Constitution when we become an immoral, ungodly people. It simply does not work. It does not hold together without the framework that our founders placed around it and the foundation on which they placed it on. Again, there's irony here. The Constitution... And even the Bible itself, the Word of God, leaves you and me with the freedom to reject God. But there is a warning with that freedom. By the way, you risk making the whole thing null and void. The whole thing can fall apart if you do not choose to be one nation under God. We're at risk of losing our freedom. Secondly, we're at risk of losing our freedom. We choose to lose our freedom when we use liberty, when we use our freedom as a license to sin. Look at verse verse 13 in Galatians 5 again. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You're called to freedom. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 this great book on prayer. And Lord willing, I plan to start next week a series on Romans chapter 8. I think it's the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Romans 6, talking about the grace of God, says, What shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? As a nation, God has shed His grace on us. Therefore, we have freedom. And let's use that freedom to get involved in all kinds of immorality. From, From Hollywood to New York, let's see what kind of immoral behaviors we can embrace as a nation. He says, no, don't do that. Don't use it. Shall shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin keep living in it? These verses are directed at sanctified living in the Christian life. Holy living for believers. But there is a principle that simply applies to all. Uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers puts it this way. You are free to choose. You are not free not to choose. And you are not free to choose the consequences of your choice. I think that's profound. I want to say that again. You are free. I am free. We are free to choose. We are not free not to choose. And we are not free to choose the consequences of our choices. The consequence spiritually is the loss of our freedom in Christ, but is it possible for the same to apply 
as citizens of a nation. Americans may be free now more than ever to marry whoever or whatever they want to marry. We're free to trust or reject Jesus Christ. We're free to gather for worship in this place today, but we were free and are always free not to gather to worship with other believers. We're free to display filth on the screens. We're free to smoke or drink whatever we choose, put it into our body. We're free to elect whomever we want to elect as a nation. We're free to vote for big controlling government. And unfortunately, right now, we are free to even abort little babies. But we're not free to choose the consequences of those choices. Almighty God gets to choose the consequences of our choices. Revelation 12, 19, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. God will have the last word. And sometimes the consequences of those choices are simply to remove a hedge of protection that he has had on this nation to where we find ourselves saying, you know what? I want government to do this for me. I want government to do that. I want the government to provide everything. I want government to have greater responsibility. If they'll take care of me, if they'll raise my kids, if they'll do everything for me, if government will just take charge and make things okay with me, I will cash in my freedom. I'll give away my freedoms. I'll give away my liberties because we sometimes want the opportunity for the flesh or we want big government and little God. When we choose our liberty as a license to sin, we're in danger of choosing to lose our freedom. And then number three, when we exalt the creation over the creator. When we exalt the creation over the creator. You, see, you want to see a nation, an empire that was once where our nation seems to be today. All you have to do is turn back and read in Romans chapter 1 beginning with verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Are we free to be ungodly? Absolutely. Are we free to be unrighteous? Sure we are. We have that freedom. But we're not free to choose the consequences. The wrath of God is revealed against those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made in the likeness of corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. That's a form of what we would call rationalism, which is taught in most public universities today. It's beginning with a desire not to have to answer to God, which leads to secular humanism and, and what we call moral relativism. What might be right for you may not be right for me, and what might be right for me might not be right for you. Let every man just do what is right in his own eyes. Eventually, it becomes so upside down 
not only do we forget to worship and serve the creator God of this universe, but we get to a place where we demand that if there is a God, he serve us and give us what we want. We begin to demand our freedom rather than seeing it as a blessing from Almighty God. We begin to ask questions. Well, why does evil happen? If there is a loving God, then why does He allow evil things to happen? If there is a God who has all power, then why isn't He making everything right like I want it? God must serve me if there is a God. Man has become then his own God. Isn't that what taking prayer out of school is all about? Silencing the evangelistic efforts of any Bible-believing military chaplain? You, you know, there was a day and a time because we want to honor our military and we so respect those who risk their lives for the freedoms we enjoy as a nation that we wanted to be sure that there was adequate chaplains and adequate uh, spiritual leadership and, and personnel to be sure if those young men and young ladies who were laying their lives on the line, if they didn't make it back to this home, as I heard General William Boykin say one time, if they didn't make it back to this home, that they would be at that home. And so the responsibility of the chaplain was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without apology and to make sure everybody had a personal relationship with Christ. I was so comforted, so encouraged, and I've told this story before, but my wife and I found great comfort in the fact because we knew that her grandfather, who was a POW in Germany, we knew that he was in a church that was a little bit more of a liberal persuasion, and, and they had a big dose of religion, but we didn't know how much they talked about a relationship with Christ. But when we found the Gideon Bible that he was given when he served in the military, and in the back it had a sinner's prayer of repentance and faith in Christ, and where he had signed his name and dated where he prayed to receive Christ, that brought a lot of hope to us, a lot of comfort to us. But now we have military chaplains who are told, don't even pray in Jesus' name. Let them come to you if they've got some questions, but don't be bold with the gospel. And there are many that are leaving the ranks because of that, that are saying, you know what, I can serve better as a pastor off of the base somewhere than I can serve as a chaplain on the base. That's why we tell teachers they can't post Scripture in the classroom. Secular humanism. We have to hide and disguise the Ten Commandments are so shrouded with other important documents that it doesn't stand out in any way. And we understand, you know, why are kids stealing in the schools? Well, maybe because they no longer see a sign where God has spoken, thou shalt not steal. We say, God, you must worship and protect us rather than us worship and glorifying him and holding on to biblical principles. Congress, governors, the president may choose to lead in a godless direction. The Supreme Court of the United States may choose to legislate from the bench in a way that is very unconstitutional and does not please God. Groups that used to be very strong in their commitment to God, like the Boy Scouts of America, may choose to reject biblical standards for the family. But God will still choose the consequences. And as a nation, the consequences are more and more becoming the loss of God-given freedoms. Galatians 6, 7, one chapter over from where we were a moment ago. God will not be mocked. 
we will reap what we sow. So what's it going to take? Trinity family? Brothers and sisters in Christ who are parts of other churches in Madison County and throughout Northeast Georgia? What's it going to take? What's it going to take to turn this nation around? Listen, apart from a great awakening, apart from a spiritual revival, there's not a lot of hope. But you and I can have the courage to stand in the midst of persecution. It's going to take courage. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take revival. God has to, I believe with all my heart, God has to miraculously capture the heart of this nation, once again, if there's any hope. God has to miraculously capture the heart of this nation and bring us back to the authority of the Scriptures once again. But even if we continue to fulfill prophecy, Paul told Timothy all about it. He said this day has come in where we would be lovers of ourselves, not lovers of God. He said people in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. So we're fulfilling prophecy when we begin to rebel as a nation and lose our freedoms. But as citizens of heaven, we can still be free to choose to take a courageous stand, even if it involves a civil disobedience. Even if it says, you know what, I'm going to do what's right in God's eyes. What God's telling me to do, I'm going to be obedient to that. We can become models of the life change. Many of you heard the story. I'm going to close with this illustration. Many of you heard the story this past spring during graduation with this young man basically, as the valedictorian should have been able to say uh, when he gave his speech, whatever he wanted to say, right? Liberty High School, South Carolina. And, and so he had to write a speech, and he had to leave out a prayer, and they had decided, the administration had decided it wasn't worth fighting one or two atheists, so they were just going to leave prayer out of it. And as valedictorian, when he got up to give his speech, he just, he just ripped up his speech, and he began to give his Christian testimony and the influence that godly parents and others had had on his life. And if we've got the video ready, I want you to see what he did next. If you haven't seen this already, many of you have seen this. Those that we look up to, they have helped carve and mold us as the young adults that we are today. I'm so thankful that both my parents led me to the Lord at a young age. And I think most of you will understand when I say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. As we forgive those who trespass against us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that we would all have that kind of courage. That we would be willing to stand for your truth. That we would be willing to call this nation back to repentance and prayer and revival that we would remind those around us that while we are here to lovingly 
serve, seek to build others up around us, to lift others up to a higher place, Lord, ultimately, we have to answer to God for our actions. And I pray that every one of us will have the courage to do just that. Lord Jesus, you went to a cross for us. You died for our sins. You were publicly humiliated so that we could go free. Lord, because we're ashamed to stand for truth and righteousness, because we're ashamed sometimes of public humiliation, we forfeit so many freedoms away. Lord, right now I pray that we would as Christians and Christian homes, as Christian church, as genuine Christ followers, Lord, that we would turn back to you. Lord, we know the prophecies of perilous times in the last days, but Lord, we also know that there is a revival that takes place among a remnant because you said you would pour out your spirit on all flesh. And I pray that we would be a part of that great revival that it would impact a nation for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.